to Adventure Lifestyle, where it is our mission to help you live out your very own version of adventure. Now, we're coming to the pointy end of the series, and today we have with us Matt Murphy. Matt's going to take us through how to escape the 9 to 5 trap, how to go out and live a life worth living. He also deconstructs his work with some of the world's best athletes. All in all, it is an absolute jam-packed conversation we have with Matt. We actually share his drive out into country. And um, look, after this episode, we have a very exciting episode next week. That is our episode with none other than Dick Smith. So let's dive into this episode with Matt Murphy and get set for next week's big episode with the legend himself, Dick Smith. Matt Murphy, welcome to Adventure Lifestyle. Thanks for taking some time out to connect with us today. We'll get straight into it. So, Matt, tell us in a single sentence, what do you do? A single sentence, what do I do? Yes. <laughs> um, I guess I travel around and train athletes and teams uh, in the country and get to experience uh, what they go through and I guess how they have to train to be where they're at and show the wider audience uh, yeah, what they do. What motivates you, Matt? As a person, what has motivated you to kind of take this path and end up where you're at? Um, I think just being lucky enough to have, um, I guess, the ability or you know, at least to work pretty well and a heart that can you know, pump blood through my body. You know, I'm a lot luckier than so many people out there and you shouldn't, uh, shouldn't take that for granted. You should get out, move and, yeah, that was, I guess, the biggest thing. That yeah. I just want to get out and take advantage of what you've got, why you've got it. Yeah, look, okay, we'll come back to that later on. I'm a big believer also in gratitude, and I think being grateful for what you've got can definitely just change your world. Now, I'm going to run through a bit of a rap sheet on you, Matt, and tell me if I've got anything wrong, but this is just going to help the audience catch up to where, you're, where you've been in the past and what kind of things you've been up to. 2003, you represented Australia in the Under-19 World Triathlon Championship. 2005, National Under-23 Triathlon Champion. In 2005, again, representing Australian triathlon. Now, 2009, I've got multiple endurance mountain bike wins within Australia. 2010, we get into the New South Wales Tough Bloke Challenge, as well as mountain bike riding. 2011, the winner of the Vic and Tough Bloke Challenge, and then from that point on, you've evolved in the um, obstacle racing world with some major um, places. In 2013, you were the runner-up in the Spartan World Challenge, um, and in 2014, you won the Australian Obstacle Course Racing title. Now, there's a heap more victories, like in 2013, in the Spartan Sydney race, but I think we could go through that list for a fairly long time because, mate, it is comprehensive. You started in triathlons? I used to live on a farm out uh, near Dubbo, a town called Golgong, and um, I could run pretty fast. Um, and one of the state's top runners, and then uh, I met a lady, my old coach, Margaret Beardley, and she said, oh, you should learn to uh, swim. And I could already ride a mountain bike, so I figured I could ride a road bike as well. And so I learned to swim, and then... Uh, yeah, fast track, family sold the farm, moved to the coast, and then within sort of four years from starting triathlon, I was ranked uh, top 50 in the world for 
miles and traveled around America and Europe racing and then had some pretty major injuries. So pretty much stopped uh, stopped triathlon for six months and fell into a personal training business. And all of a sudden, the whirlwind of five years of personal training uh, took over and triathlon was no more. I've got here that you um, spent a couple of summers in the U.S. training and racing when you were in the triathlon world, yeah? Yeah, yeah. so I was employed by uh, Barb Link, which she was favoured to win the Athens Olympics. Uh, so my job was to go over there and live with her and her husband for two years and, yeah, train her. And, um, and obviously I was training as well to, yeah, make sure that she was in tip-top shape for Athens. And how was that experience working with Barb? Oh, yeah, it was awesome. Like, they working with the, I still, I still think she's the longest reigning world number one female. Um, I think she was ranked number one for 19 or 20 months in a row. Um, so, you know, you learn a lot. In- Is there any one moment that you, like if you could break down all the time that you spent working with Barb and that experience over in the US, is there any one moment that you could say was particularly valuable to you in life that you've, you know, picked up? Yeah, actually, yeah. It's, um, there's, there's like a, in swimming circles, there's uh, 100, 100 like a, a pretty big session that 10,000 metres of swimming for your main set. And um, one thing taught me was don't think about it as 100-100. Think about it as every one you're just taking a small bite out of an elephant. So you can't rock up to an elephant and eat the whole thing in one go. You need to take small chunks and eventually you'll get through it, but it just takes time. So I think the 100-100 session definitely taught me to be to be patient if you just keep moving forward or you just keep, keep taking small little chunks that you'll eventually get what you want. I was a swimming coach for a while in that 100-100. You get a few grimaces when you write that up on the board. There's a few kids that are wishing they stayed in bed that day. <laughs> yeah, but, it, you know, when they when they finish, and I'm sure you'll agree, when they finish, there's obviously some tired bodies but some uh, changed individuals. And I think the 100, I don't know exactly what your experience is with coaching. is obviously a far greater level than mine, but to be honest, when I was running my 100-100 set, I wasn't particularly interested in their times, but I just wanted to see who had the mental toughness and the grit to get through it and do themselves justice throughout mm-hmm. the set. And um, that was the main tool that I was using. It was just that toughness and just for me to gauge where they were at individually in their swimming. Uh, After that, you um, said you started a, there was a bit of mountain biking. Talk to me about mountain biking. I've actually got a pair of um, Merida tights on at the moment and a specialised shirt. I've just been... Hey. From Virginia, and um, okay, yeah, yeah. Mate, I love it. I've got a big 29er um, Specialized, one of the initial ones that kind of come out. So it's still that really long bike that's yeah. pretty obtuse getting through the tight technical stuff. But put me on um, small mountain terrain, and it just eats oh, it up. Yeah, yeah. The 29er simply changed the pace of mountain biking. And even if you seven and a half now, the giant comes out with extra um, ride, obviously a lot of road. Um, the triathlon and where I live uh, on the central coast, the roads were really, really busy, and I was just getting sick of getting half of one on my ride. So, you know, it's like, and then I rocked up to one of the local um, town bike club races on a cheap rubbish uh, hard tail and went pretty well in A grade. And I thought, oh, I just like this, so I got a better bike, and um, just get rather than riding on the road, drive the mountain bike anywhere and everywhere. And then within sort of about a year, I started doing some of the state. Uh, state level races and was going pretty good. Yeah, just fell in love with it. I think um, out of Lincoln to for state champs, I got uh, third behind Jock Clark. He's now riding in Canada. He's uh, one of the four cross specialists. Um, 
driver. I remember uh, we had quite a battle there for a while until I had it off. And uh, even another gentleman got away. But, um, yeah, mountain biking is awesome. I started mountain biking riding for a pretty similar reason to you, actually. When I was a teenager, I was competing in some triathlons and I was riding along the road, strapped it tied down the truck's load, hit my arm and cut me open. And I, that was the last time I've honestly been on a road bike. I'm like, no, nah, this is... This is silly. Um, and gave up riding for a couple of years, eventually jumped on a mountain bike and found myself absolutely loving it. Now I can't believe I ever rode on the road. Yeah, and especially if I went through the city, etc. like that, like a mountain bike, you can be riding deep, just, you know, commuting to work. You know, you go to back streets, you just mitigate so much risk by cars, etc. How come you left the mountain biking? Obviously you are going well in that. Was there any particular reason why you... Move from that into the... Yeah, work. Um, obviously, Spartan at the time, it was, uh, we, we were reaching sort of a teeter totter with the business that we had. Uh, to, I had really early sessions in the morning, we finished until sort of 10 and then night sessions. So by the time that we finished uh, PT in the morning, it would be really hot during the day, and then I'd go out riding, but then I'd be so smashed for the rest of the day. Then I'd have to go and do class that night, and it just ate away. So rather than, I guess, take the next step, it was, it was just, I guess, smarter career-wise to be you know, focusing on the business and just to be stomping the pedals and potentially earning no money. High tide fitness, which yeah. you were um, in at the time? Yeah, yeah. So that was um, five years ago, I think, I finished up, uh, finished up with that. But we had a, we had a good thing, I think. Well over 400 clients uh, there with uh, outdoor training companies on the Central Coast. And it was pretty big. It was um, yeah, definitely learnt me, learnt me a lot. Definitely taught me a lot. Um, yeah, obviously the training scene, etc. But yeah, it was, it was really big. Like we have 60, 70 people on the beach some night training. It was awesome. What made you guys successful in the fitness industry? Like I know a lot of people go into that um, PT world and they really struggle to make you know, a living or they don't quite gel with them and it just doesn't work for them. What works for you guys? What do you think the difference was between you guys and those guys that just doesn't work for? Well, look, to be honest, if, if you looked at the marketplace now on the Central Coast, we wouldn't be as successful as we were as we were back then. We were one of the only ones there. So your, your options were somewhat limited. Um, CrossFit wasn't around when we started either. Um, yeah. You've got a lot more players in the market. I still think now that we go quite well, but um, the demographic of trainers we had, we had um, people that I guess were well known in that uh, area of the community, but also that we, we made sure we targeted the big hitters. So when I say big hitters, like, so we made sure we got like uh, the large real estate agencies, agencies involved, cafe owners involved, and hairdressers involved, and all those three people, they talk a lot. Um, yeah, once yeah. You start, once you start to nail the anyone that talks a lot or knows a lot of people, if you can start to change them, people turn up. And when I mean, two goes to four, four goes to eight, eight goes to sixteen, and so on. Very intelligent, then, Matt. I like it. Um, and from mountain bike, you moved into the uh, to the obstacle course race. It was a business sort of thing that um, with high tides, we had so many clients that one of the things that we thought we glue the group together would be an event so people don't there's no point in just training for nothing so we made sure that we had events every sort of three months so they had to train for something one of our events was the tough load uh challenge down in victoria i'm uh, sorry down in um athens down in um, 
I won and a bunch of the guys that we went with absolutely loved it and people wanted to do more of it from work. So rather than sort of it being a competitive thing for me, it was more uh, that the clients wanted to do this sort of thing. So we just went around and did a bunch of them and I you know, was fortunate enough that I could win most. And what drew you, what engages you in the obstacle course racing? I've never done anything like it, but what is okay. it? Yeah, well, I think uh, there's so many road running races, there's so many um, triathlons, things like this, that people are looking for the next, the next challenge. Kind of like, I guess, like boxing in UFC, people always look for something that might be slightly more challenging, and I think that's where the sport comes to its element, is that it is a little bit more challenging. Um, not a really, really good running, you can still go quite well. We think a lot of heavy, heavy things, you know, you're obviously crawling, you're getting your body into different positions, etc. And um, it's the unknown, people like to not know what's around the corner. So, you know, you're running along, you might have to, you know, lift a 55 kilo dead ball for 100 meters, or that whole element of what's going to come next. I think people really enjoy that because our lives are so structured that, you know, get up at this time, go to work at this time, come home at this time, go to bed at this time, everything in life is so structured, they're looking up to these events where you have no idea what's going to happen. It's different than a running race where it's just a, a 10 kilometre run through the streets over the Harbour Bridge where you know what you're going to get, whereas if you don't. I was listening to a, actually no it wasn't, it was a YouTube video that you put up and um, you were talking about the dark moments in the races and you said that, that you have to have a hundred dark moments in a race before you reckon it's worth pulling out. What motivates you to get through those hundred half moments? How do you how have you built the mental toughness to get through it and what what gives you that grind? You know, I think what we what we spoke about at the start, you know, the you know, there's there's a lot of people that can't do uh, what you know a, a lot of us can, you know, whether it's moving from point A to point B with two feet that work properly. Um, or a heart that works well, or a mind that works pretty well, is that not taking advantage of that is knowing that you know there's, there's a million people out there with, that would trade spots with you in a second. Picking up, think that there's someone out there, you know, possibly in a wheelchair, or possibly the less fortunate financially than ourselves, or whatever it is that they kill just to do this and hurt as bad as you or I am, and you know, just keep moving forward, get through the next one, go again. Can you identify where you picked up this um, this gratitude from? Um, like I know myself, it's only been a very recent thing since I've started listening to a few different podcasts which is a lot about gratitude and once I started to apply it because everyone that they're interviewing was talking about this attitude of gratitude and how it can, you know, alleviate stress, make you happier just by simply acknowledging, you know, what you have to be grateful for. Where did you pick it up, Matt? been with you for a long time. Yeah, just, I think, you know, travelled a fair bit and seen that the grass, grass can be pretty uh, dry and barren on the other side of the fence. They should uh, <laughs> the grass you've got on this side of the fence. I like it. Too many people, the grass is greener on the other side. You're saying yeah. the grass can be pretty barren on the other side. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Matt, another question I've got about, you know, kind of down a similar path. Obviously, you know, you finished high school, you're um, in the triathlon scene, you know, there's not mega money even for those guys who are the very elite triathletes. How how was it you managed to keep on a path where you're being very true to yourself, very adventurous and living what many people would see as a idyllic type lifestyle 
rather than getting sucked into the nine-to-five grind of a day job or a desk job? It's an interesting one. I definitely, I definitely did it. So in 2000, uh, let me just think here for a second, 2000, end of 2013, start of 2014, I started work for a company called Iron Edge, Australia's largest strength and conditioning company. Um, just specifically in, yeah, like uh, no cardio equipment. It's all about uh, you know, free movement. A lot of people would know the brand Iron Edge. Um, I got offered a job because they were one of my sponsors and um, they offered me a job as a sales sales manager. So yep. I thought, yep, this is fantastic, good stable money. Into working more, working more, training less, working more, training less. Um, and it definitely got to a point uh, probably about four to five months ago where I just I couldn't do it anymore because I wasn't being true to myself that I wanted to be out doing stuff, not that doing stuff earned me a lot of money compared to what I was on at Iron Edge, but um, it was definitely, I, I got in that nine to five or seven to seven sort of routine as <laughs> work, travel on work, um, and it's just my mentality, I go hard at it, so rather than working a nine to five, I, I pull big hours and uh, make sacrifices with family and uh, training and eventually got to a teeter sort of point where I'm like, no, I, I, I can't do this. So, um, yeah, I ended up resigning and moving moving down to the mountains in Victoria and you know, living in a little a little shack on a few acres with the family and spending more time with them. Then we got caught up in that grind and, you know, potentially on the hamster wheel there for quite some time. What was the feeling like when you realised that you didn't want to do this sales management job anymore what were the feelings like were you worried about you know what people might think about your financial security I think the financial security 100% that's a big one uh, it's, you know, it's scary when you walk away from a paycheck that you get every single week you know guaranteed uh, that's that's pretty scary so but then also not stepping into a big mortgage uh, making sure that you know you, your overheads every week are small enough uh, don't get me wrong, it's still, it's bloody, the biggest stress now is not, you know, making sure that, you know, you're keeping your client happy or that works, uh, you, you're reaching your KPIs, etc. Now it's just making sure that, you know, we, we service the budget that we have every week, but don't stress too much about it because stress in life, oh, my emotional and physical performance since I've been able to just not have as much stress in my life is ridiculous. Um, Stress is just unbelievable what it does to your body. It's amazing, as you said, when you can alleviate that stress, how much more functional you are across all areas of life. So stepping out of your 9 to 5 job or 7 to 7 job, as you said, um, you talked about overheads. What other planning went in into that transition? Obviously, we had to think of yeah, making sure that you know, we could transition into or I could transition into something. So at the moment we're uh, working through, we've done two camps so far, um, her camp. So that's where Chad McKay, uh, a lot of people would know Chad McKay. Um, he's Australia's number one or maybe number two or three now, CrossFitters in Australia. Myself, Andrew Papadopoulos um, and Leah Richardson, we ran uh, her camp up on the Central Coast where we put you know, hundreds of people through, uh, through a training day that was, Similar to what uh, back in 2013, uh, the contestants for Search for Hurt had to go through um, yep. to get actually 
you know, her camp and got all these emails. And I thought, my group will put it on. So we all came together and put on these uh, camps where people can find out what they're really made of. Um, and it's not just all about you know, crushing people's souls. It's also about learning and, I guess, coming coming through the other side that, you know, yes, I hurt that bad. Or, you know, kind of like what we were talking about before, what you think of, et cetera, and getting people to understand that they can break down a hundred times, but they can get back a hundred and one times. Um, and what they take away from that, you know, they can be implemented into so many parts of their life. So, you know, that we put some hurt on them, but really getting them when they finish that eight to ten hour training day that they're just, um, I guess, ecstatic that they've finished and they've learned so much about themselves and what they're capable with. And that transition not only through her camp uh, as a business, some of the trail, trail running stuff that I do um, down in Victoria in the mountains there is that, you know, you've got two feet and a heartbeat to uh, get up the top of Victoria's highest mountain. You know, understand you can do it. Yeah, it's going to hurt, but there's a million people that will trade places with you right now to get to the top of that mountain using two feet. Um, and you know, the, the look that you see on people's faces when you see them at the top of that mountain, they're just like, wow, I did that. Um, no one else did it for me. I did that. And that's, um, you know, that's I guess that some work of the framework of the business model is that getting the people really experience what they can achieve with their own body. What is it in that hurt and those moments of pain when you when you're in a race or when you're in training that you think is good for a person to go through? Why is it that you've um, spent so much of your life in pain and assisting people to get into pain? What lessons are you hoping people can pull out of that? Life life's pretty easy physically for a lot of people, and you know. Physically, you know, not not too long ago, we had to work really hard. Everyone had to work hard, or you, you know, you know, you have to go and dig for our own food. You know, whether it was in your own garden, but you were outside moving. These days, everything's so easy. Um, and getting the body to go to that point where, oh, you know, I, I can actually do that. That can transition into other parts of their lives, whether it's their work or their family, etc. That you know, it is tough, but you know, things could be a hell of a lot tougher. And I think, yeah, a lot of people have it physically very easy. What do you think are the biggest changes for people who are stuck in that rut that you need to work with them to try and bring them back out to living a more fulfilling, meaningful life? Um, ask themselves what they really want. You know, like, they, do they really want a big house, a big car? If they really, really want that, then... I guess they're going to have to work hard in their job to achieve that. Maybe the physical side of it is going to have to take a hit. Um, do they really want that? Um, or is it just what everyone else has got that they're looking at? Um, once they find out what they really want, then it's not you know, the big house, the big car, the life building, the jazz, it's not what they want. Then I guess they better better step back and make a plan to see what it is that they want. If it's you know, good physical health, and mental health, essentially, you've got to make a plan to achieve that. I really agree with what you're saying there. I know personally it's probably been of the last two years I've started to understand more so what I want rather than what I guess the world's expectations are of the job with the nice title and that kind of stuff. I think the biggest step for me personally in that journey has been disconnecting from television. Of yep, all well, the I was just about to say that. Yeah, at least no, we don't, we don't have um, we don't, well, we actually don't get reception where we live. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> we do uh, we do have Netflix that we watch uh, through Wi Fi uh, probably once or twice a week, but apart from that, that's um, no more TV for us. Uh, and it's been quite some time now. And uh, I think waking up every morning to see one of the morning shows to talk about death and the economy and oh my god, it's just to start your morning off in a depressed state is not really a healthy start. It's like having it's like having a fatty rubbish cheeseburger every morning for breakfast if you start yourself off on a bad trend for the day. So, you know, and you, an emotional state is pretty important for the day, so starting it off in a positive way is probably a good option. Now, that's interesting. Matt, what's your morning routine look like on an ideal day? What kind of things are you doing to get up, to set yourself up, to live optimally? <laughs> so I'm pretty, I've got two different routines. So one routine is that uh, I get up with, Elise says, anywhere between 5.30 and 6.30. And, you know, we look after Jack, do that, get him ready, try to get out the door by 7.30 to go to the coffee shop. Um, And this is probably two to three days a week that this would happen. Go to the coffee shop, stop Jack at daycare, um, and then try to get the work done or train. Um, Then the other routine of the morning would be get up super, super, super early, like 3.30, 4 o'clock. And I won't be home until sort of 10. So I'll go out training in the mountains or just somewhere doing something outside from, yeah, pretty much 4 a.m., maybe 5, if I get started at 5. You've got the training morning routine and then you've got the hangout with family routine in the morning. Hard balance to pull off. I've got two children myself and um, trying to um, get everything done on the training side, I'm a big fan of meditation, trying to squeeze that in and then trying to also get, you know, your day off to a productive start. It's, yep. mate, I am, um, yeah, the 3.30, I'm not there yet, but occasionally I'm pulling the 4.30 and, um, yeah, you just keep pushing further and further back in the time to get done what you want to get done to yeah, start exactly. the day off in a winning place. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, try and have a plan and I've been a little bit black lately, the whole plan on paper, I'm sort of that's, that's the way that I work sort of begins planning on paper and uh, that's been a little blase of lately uh, but you know, it's, yeah, it's definitely got to come back. So what are you looking to do with these two um, projects? How are you looking to assist people? Yeah. You know, what is it that you're chasing? Yeah, so uh, Hurt Camp will uh, run for uh, four Hurt Camps a year so one a quarter. Uh, the next one looks like it's going to be Canberra at the end of April. Uh, but the goal is that you know we have around 100 people rock up to each her camp, eight-hour training day. They get to learn a lot. They get to hurt a lot. And they walk away uh, physically and emotionally a better person. Person for that. These will be held in uh, like Canberra, Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney. We won't get first just yet. Um, and then with the trail running stuff, that won't just be in. Um, I'm also I'm going to New Zealand in. April to run a camp over there, got camps up in Sydney, um, but obviously, you know, camps down at home is main priority, but try to run one of those around once a month, once every two months, and just get people, because it is education that people take so much away, people, a lot of the time, work too hard with the training and not smart enough, um, so if we, can, if we can teach people just to be a little bit smarter with their training, then obviously they're not going to get injured as easily, they're going to have a better overall experience with their chosen sport, whether that's through her camp education or the trail running education. Um, they're going to be able to enjoy it a lot more, you know, simply running down a hill, you know, downhill technique, mitigating injuries, etc., um, or 
strength training for trail running, um, getting to, them to enjoy it more is a huge thing, but also getting them, especially where we live down in Victoria, getting them to experience some of the best trail running in their country is so key for me anyway. Adventure Lifestyle is all about, you know, trying to help people live more adventurously. And for a lot of people, the health and fitness is a big thing. And you spoke about, you know, working smarter, not harder. For those who are, you know, in a bit of a bad spot with their health and fitness, what, you know, one thing on the 80-20 rule that you could say most people could do that would give them a big leap forward in their health and fitness? So I think, um, I think consistency is the big one that a lot of people overthink that they need to work out. 45 minutes to an hour every day. Not, a lot of people don't have that kind of time. So just understanding that doing something super small every single day is much better than doing nothing. So, you know, doing 50 push-ups at a time, sit in a deep squat and watch TV for your morning coffee if that's the only five minutes you've got. But just not thinking that you have to work out for an hour because it's going to do nothing otherwise. But really understanding that it's not... Push up, done. That's it for the day, and it's much better than nothing. And do something every single day. How do you know Samantha Nash? She um, was on the podcast a couple of episodes ago, and she told us to get in contact with you. Tell us about how you met Sam. Okay, so Samantha. Um, well, I've seen her on the morning show a few times. You know, obviously doing all the uh, charity stuff that she does with running, etc. And um, see her a fair bit of her stuff on Facebook because I'm friends with her on Facebook. This was sort of like two years. Go 18 months ago, and um, then through an event called Buffalo Stampede 2014, got to meet her there. Said good day, you know, had a beer or two with her at the um, pub. She knows a lot of people in the running circle. And then last year, uh, about the middle of the start, maybe it was like March, April, I got to meet who I didn't even know with her uh, partner uh, Matthew Judori, um, Canadian guy, run coach, strength and conditioning coach. Um, fantastic runner as well and then eventually I put two and two together that they're together and he started coaching me after uh, my World Cup Mother event went to stay with them down in Dandenong um, down in Victoria and just got to know her and Matt better and um, from then on yeah we just stay in contact all the time and yes yeah, she's really good value he's awesome value there's nothing more depressing than when she was doing that run across South Africa you'd go out and you'd do your morning session and you know you'd yeah, be feeling yeah. pretty good about yourself and then for the seventh day in a row, she's run 60 kilometres. Oh, no. oh, yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. Now, before we move into our final questions, where can people connect with you um, and what projects are you working on that you want to give a bit of a shout-out to? We talked about Camp Hurt and Brighton yeah. Runners, but where can people find out more about what you're doing and if they want to get a bit of assistance on their health and fitness you know, goals? Yeah, yeah cool. So, um, email Matt at mattmercy.com.au um, like most people easiest thing is Facebook just look yeah. up uh, Matt Murphy on Facebook and uh, I'm sure you'll recognise me from uh, the crazy I'll either be at the top of a mountain or um, hopefully on a podium or something in my uh, profile picture so you shouldn't uh, find it too hard to find me someone someone always knows someone in the, in the Facebook world so it's not too yeah. hard to connect on that front but uh, the big things yeah her camp trail running clinic around the country and um, yeah that's where it's yeah. all at so just jump online and shout me up if you need any help 
And like from my perspective, trying to live a more adventurous life, if you don't have your body and fitness in order, it's um, a disaster. Like, it's one thing that's really easy to forget, get caught up in work and, you know, making sure you hit those commitments. But the moment that your health or fitness disappears, that's all you can think about when you're stuck up in bed or you've got an injury. You know, you just wish that you'd looked after yourself that bit better. So it's easy to neglect, but you just can't do it to yourself. It'll yeah, catch up with you. Get out so Matt, you're an old man and um, you've lived a fulfilling life. You're sitting on your porch in a rocking chair and you're reflecting on the life that you've lived. What is it that you want to be remembered for at that point? <laughs> um, a friend, uh, Barb Lindquist, um, Barb Lindquist, she used to pose not so much the question, uh, the lady that I used to live in, in the US, um, she said that what the goal should be in life is that you're looking back at your funeral and what are people going to say about you and just to be a good person that I'd like to have a few bucks in the bank and make sure that I didn't struggle too hard but that yeah people are just like that you know, had a good time and didn't, didn't work what is it didn't work too hard but made sure that I had fun uh, but paid my bills. That would be that would be a big one. You know, I had fun. Uh, yeah. Want to make sure that I had fun, and that, uh, I'm driving here with the lease, and that we were sitting together in the rocking chair. Now, Matt, what do you need in life to feel completely fulfilled? Uh, a lease, Jack, and some really big mountains, and that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> some steep ones with a 65 kilo sandbag on your shoulder, or can you <laughs> drop the 65 kilo sandbag? You drop that, yeah. I think um, they, they came up yesterday with a buddy I was at the, at the top of uh, Mount Bogong and we were just saying that it's so funny how there's so many different personalities that different things excite different people and, and um, yeah, just up the top of this mountain it's like, there you go, that's it, done. Yeah, that, that's a snapshot for life, I'll take it. Look, I'm just going to take a chance to dive into that. We um, had a podcast guest, Dr. Les Higgins, and he spoke about a term that he refers to as biophilia. And he's, he's an academic, and his argument is that we evolved in nature and to um, be completely whole as a person, to operate optimally um, psychologically and physio- physiologically, we need that connection with nature, you know, to complete us. I think... Um even since, you know, my wife and I have moved down to, um, to where we are, like, we're, we're so much happier. Yes, we don't know how much we were both working, etc. but um, the overall, just being out, outside doing stuff, I, I totally agree with uh, that gentleman. I, I had a couple of girls that four women down at my place uh, last week. They stayed for four days and they, they just said that never in their lives, they all work quite hard. definition of adventure, Matt? Mm, um, I, I think just 
something that anything that makes us happy outside of our normal thought pattern. So whether it's you know, whether it's going for a hike, whether it's going for a mountain bike ride, whether it's going skydiving, just doing something that takes us slightly out of our comfort zone. Nothing stupid because you don't want to get injured or hurt. Something that challenges us a little bit more than normal. And um, for all those thinking they might pick up a mountain bike, just that warning, warning, word of warning on the hurt, you, you're probably likely to get hurt. Yeah, 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 you probably will, but that's okay. Like, it's, you know, we're, we're meant to have your bumps and scrapes or brakes won't, uh, normally, normally won't kill you. Uh, I've got a funny story from just yesterday morning, actually. There's um, some downhill in Darwin, and I'm not a downhill rider, really. I'm more cross-country. And um, it looks pretty tame, and I'm like, ah, stuff it, I'll just do it. Surely I've got the skills to handle Darwin's downhill because it looks flat. Yeah. Dead set five metres in, I was sliding on my face down a hill. <laughs> Maybe think, this uh, wasn't the best way to start my morning. But... I had a buddy who, uh, Dave Nagan, he um, used to ride a lot of road bikes with me, and I said, I'll get a mountain bike and we'll go out together. Within uh, three months, he'd broken off copious amounts of risk. <laughs> His wife was going to kill me. Working with some of the top athletes that you've worked with, is there a mindset or something that you can identify that's different with them compared to the majority of the population? Is there, you know, one or a couple of things that you can isolate that they how they think or act different? There's, you, you can't say that you know all their parents built this in them, but they've all got something there that's determined to consistently work yeah. hard. Um, and the difference between you know potentially. Uh, a professional, you know, professional triathlete and someone that you know, almost made it could be six months, could be a year's time, but certain things in their life that just sent them in that direction and having, you know, we've all got something in life that, you know, whether you know, you're working in an office, whether you're on toilets or whether you're a professional cyclist, we've all got a route that we take in life and we've got a mindset that helps us on that road with that determination to succeed. Is the biggest and willing to hurt, obviously willing to hurt um, to, to make sacrifices uh, is a huge one. Final question, Matt. If you have one piece of advice that you can leave us with to share with our listeners that would inspire them to take the plunge into living out their very own desired adventures, what would it be? Um, it's, it's never too late. So whether it's a 65, 70 or a you know, 30, 25-year-old male or female, that well, thank you very much for taking some time out with us today, Matt, and um, wish you all luck with Hurt Camp and the Brighton Trail Runners. And, uh, mate, we'll be in touch.